We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Dobby New Year. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for Wassellers. Dobby is only wanting to wish Harry Potter Merry Christmas and bring him a present, sir. Uh, I've got something for you, too. Sorry, I forgot to wrap them. Socks are Dobby's favourite, favourite clothes, sir. I have seven now, sir. But, sir, they has made a mistake in the shop, Harry Potter. They has given you two the same. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. Guys, we're back! Woo! Not all the way back. We are doing a super special holiday episode. Christmas, in our case, that is what we celebrate. But whatever it is that you are making merry about this time of year, here is... Hopefully what feels like a little prezzy for all of you. And we'll be back with uh, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix in January. So that'll be dark. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) We do have some sort of vaguely thematic, but not super Harry Potter themed adult themes this week. They are ugly jumpers, overindulgence, re-gifting, when relatives ask you what you're doing with your life, and that one Christmas dread. (laughs) everybody's got one everybody has christmas dread there's one thing that you're like ah fuck this is gonna be terrible christmas is actually a pretty consistently nice time of the year for harry in these books yeah at least in the first at least in the first few yeah everything gets pretty dark from book five on but you're right harry gets some respite every christmas so and a sweater and a nice sweater. And Dobby not- gets a sweater, and Harry gets to pound a lot of treacle tart, which yeah. I finally learned what treacle tart actually is. What is it? According to 1,000 Foods to Eat Before You Die, it's an unctuously sweet confection with a lattice crust topping filled with a deceptively simple blend of breadcrumbs, butter, spices, and evaporated sugarcane syrup. Sounds great. It sounds horrifying. Doesn't that sound way too sweet? Maybe. Well, that's why it's called treacle, right? No, no, no. That's why the phrase treacle comes from the food treacle, not the other way around. Oh, well, clearly I don't actually know much about treacle tart because I am a Yankee. <laughs> I, I don't know. So what have you been up to over the break, Heather? Um, or what have you been reading besides it's not Harry Potter? That's true. I have taken a reading break from Harry Potter. I have been reading a lot of kind of experimental feminist literature actually all right i read all the books by a wonderful woman named kate zambrano including this book heroines which is about the kind of wags the like wives and girlfriends of the great modernist writers and the ways in which those male writers kind of stole the voices and then silenced all these women who were probably like geniuses in their own right. So I've been reading some heavy hitting like feminist stuff. I also read Jane Eyre, which I hadn't read in a really long time and which is really fun and good and exciting. And I love Jane, except I wish that she would just like go out and like start her own school instead of end up with stupid Rochester. He's he's, like, he's not great. I mean, he's, it's like so romantic and I found myself very swept up in how romantic it is, but ultimately like, no, that gets a douchebag. <laughs> what have you been reading? I read The Sympathizer by Viet Tran Nguyen, which was great. It's a pretty new, no- I think it came out last year, won the Pulitzer Prize. It's about the Vietnam War and its aftermath 
And yeah, you should go out and read it. I also read The Militant South by John Hope Franklin, which is sort of a classic study of Southern culture before the outbreak of the Civil War and about how it was particularly aggressive and militant, basically. It was really good. It really upped my understanding of that period. And I've been listening to Grant on audiobook, the new biography of uh, Ulysses S. Grant by Ron Chernow, because I'm a grandpa. Uh, that's the guy who wrote Hamilton, though. So, I mean, there's a reason that he's kind of glitzy these days. It's really good. Uh, U.S. Grant, a better person than Alexander Hamilton, I would say. Oh, yeah. I would agree with that. Alexander Hamilton, like, wasn't a great person, but it's a fascinating biography. Grant, um, Grant might be a Hufflepuff. Aww. I would put Grant in Hufflepuff and or Gryffindor. Definitely okay. not a Ravenclaw. Definitely not a Slytherin. So, history friends out there, uh, weigh in where you would sort you as Grant. I just read a lot of really weird novels by women. Now I'm reading some nonfiction again. I'm reading a collection of essays by Elliot Weinberger, who is a wonderful essayist, if anybody is interested. And pretty soon we will dive right back into Harry Potter. So get excited for that. In the meantime, I hope you've gotten some little book recommendations from us. But that's not actually what we are all the way here to do. No, we're here to quibble. We are here specifically for your quibbles to read your letters. We have gotten wonderful ones in the hiatus um, in the interim. So we wanted to read a few of y'all's thoughts back and have a discussion about them. The first thing I want to say is that we got a lot of letters reminding us very helpfully that Hermione is older than Ron and Harry by about a year so because of the time turner no 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 just her she's older oh okay just in the books like she's why is that i don't know it's like how i'm like like weird cutoff date yeah like it's like how i'm like i was like almost a full year older than like a lot of my classmates because i entered kindergarten i guess i was too and hermione's been time traveling so it's possible that she's like 15 when the kids are the other guys are kids are like 13 or whatever so the point of that is that it's a little bit less creepy her relationship with victor crumb because they're fewer years apart because she is a lot older than ron not a lot but she is older than ron and harry so that's just something that a lot of you reminded us of also we were mispronouncing parvati patil it is not pavarti to rhyme with havarti it is parvati Ah. P-A-R-V-A-T-I. That's really good to know. Yeah. So sorry for those little mix-ups and thank you for correcting us. So now let's read a letter. This one is just called Love the Podcast, which is very sweet. Thanks. And the listener writes, hi there. Hi. Hello. I've been listening for a while now and I really wanted to thank you both for being able to make such a thoughtful and interesting show about books that I really love. I love how you bring in some political motions too. It just makes me feel like it's not just indulging myself to listen because I come out of each episode with a little more thoughtfulness about our world. That is very kind of you. Thank you. Anyways, this owl post is about to get pretty damn heavy, but I've been wanting to write to you for a while, so I'm just going to go for it. I'm glad you did. Go for it. Over the past two years, I've been struggling with depression and anxiety. I started rereading and listening to the audiobooks, and I found that they have been able to make me feel a little more human with every rereading. I know it might seem a little crazy, but I think that maybe the nature of the books as a coming-of-age story allows for moral and emotional guidance to work as a backbone. I'm curious about your thoughts on how the themes in these books can relate to the feelings of mental illness. 
I know that JK has talked about Dementors as a representation of depression, but in my experience, I really found a connection with the descriptions of how the Horcruxes make people feel. Well, thank you for making your podcast. It's a damn good one. I look forward to it every damn week. Also, as a side note, very excited to hear the episodes about Order of the Phoenix, my favorite book. Keep them coming. Thanks, amigos. Thank you, amigo. Yeah. Thanks, amigo. Order of the Phoenix is my favorite book, too, I think. It's my second favorite. Up there with Azkaban. So, first of all, I want to say that you are super not alone in finding Harry Potter to be really comforting in times of mood and mental illness difficulties. That is why I started re-listening to them, actually. I was in a pretty deep depression myself, and... The Harry Potter audiobooks never fail to just like bring me back to a place where I feel like a person. I was kind of urging Alex to listen along with me, but the reason I was reaching out to them was for the exact same reason. So super understand that. And I think you're right. I think the nature of the books makes them really helpful and really comforting and provide a lot of succor. Without being cloying or like an escape per se no because they don't really shy away from real the, stuff like the bat like the hard things in life but they do in a way that gives you bravery i think yeah they make you brave i think they make me feel less alone i think those characters make me feel like i have like a network of people whose lives i can kind of dive into and be really engaged but also feel just togetherness weirdly they're like comfortable shoes. They are. That's a good way to describe it. So to your question about how some of the things that she writes about kind of relate to mental illness, I think you've got a lot of kind of classic ones. Like you mentioned the Dementors. I think the Bogart is a really, somebody wrote us a letter about this. I forget if we actually read it on a podcast, but somebody wrote us a great letter about how the Bogart reminds them of the feeling of like phobias. And you're right about the Horcruxes. We haven't gotten to those yet, obviously, but the way she describes, I mean, you can just tell that JK Rowling like has experience with this stuff because she's actually incredibly strong at describing what it feels like to be just like inexplicably underwater emotionally. And the description of the Horcruxes are incredibly solid analogs for what it feels like to be depressed. And when you just like, there's just like some weight on you, but you can't define it and you kind of can't take it off. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of really strong ways of thinking about mood disorders and mental illness in the Harry Potter books. And I think that's because, I mean, we know that J.K. Rowling like struggles with depression. So I think that's that's a reason why she can write about these things with such deftness and, and um, empathy. This next letter is from... Tyler, and it's very on theme. Title is Finding an Analogy for House Elves. All right. Hi, I love listening to your podcast and your insights on the books, especially the skepticism of Dumbledore's staffing decisions. <laughs> They're so bad. Yeah, Hogwarts needs an HR department. Uh, Tyler continues, when I was listening to you discuss Hermione's fact-finding mission to the Hogwarts kitchens and how the analogy to slavery broke down, I realized that I tended to think of the plight of the house elves as a subversion of the idea of Santa's little helpers. Normally, these magical creatures are seen as not just hardworking, but existentially tied to serving another character's needs. The books seem to take this relationship and apply it to multidimensional characters, imagining a world where your average wizard on the alley might have this kind of supernatural connection to another being who may not like the situation, but is magically bound to this wizard. Of course, 
Many people would abuse their position in that relationship, especially given the menial work house elves have. It's made even more sad by us being able to see these house elves' perspectives. I haven't read the later books in years, but I know two of three house elves we meet are miserable with their wizards. It definitely raises a lot of questions about how widespread house elf dissatisfaction is. That's a really good point, because so many times Ron and other characters say, oh, they like it, they like it, but... The majority of the house elves we meet that right. get to know actually hate their lives. Right. Even if they don't, like, do- Winky is complicated, but she is clearly very unhappy. So. Right. Anyway, Tyler finishes up. I just wanted to share this observation with you and say, keep it up. We still have two challenges to go. Oh, this was written. We read all your letters, but they don't always make it into the episode. Uh, in a timely manner. In a timely fashion. So this was clearly way earlier in Goblet of Fire. But thanks, Tyler, for the owl post. Yeah. I love the thought of them as like Santa's elves because there are traditions actually in which Santa's elves are slaves. Uh, yeah, in Holland. Um, in Holland. If you have not read, by the way, David Sedaris's incredibly funny essay called Six to Eight Black Men, which is about the bizarre ways of defining Santa and his elves like in different parts of the world. I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's about Black Peter, right? In the it's Netherlands. It's about Black Peter in the Netherlands yeah. and like how until very recently he was conceived of as a slave and now he's just Santa's like buddy. His pal. Which yeah. like is so problematic and but yeah, so there's like definitely traditions where the elves are just actual slaves. Well, that's, I mean, Rowling is so good at pulling these tropes from culture and then remixing them and giving them an interesting spin. It's like Star Wars, right? She like takes this melange of like images and themes that everyone is familiar with to like make something, a world that's totally new or feels very new, but that we also like recognize. Yeah, totally. Just saw Star um, Wars, so that's yeah, been on my that's brain. On, on our uh, minds. A lot. Well, speaking of saying what Rolling is really good at, I have an email here called Podcast Quibble. Uh-oh. So, no, this will okay. be fun. It is from Lauren. Lauren writes, Hey, Heather and Alex. I found out about this podcast via Reddit a couple of weeks ago. I did not know we were on Reddit. Neither of us is on Reddit. No. I went back to episode one and I'm finally caught up. I have to say this podcast is amazing. I love it and I've recommended it to several friends and family. Thank you. A bit of background about me. I'm a 28-year-old medical receptionist with a degree in English Lit and I was a self-proclaimed super fan of Harry Potter in my youth. The reason I'm emailing you today is to share a podcast quibble. So, awesome. Yeah, bring them on. Guys, please write us emails like this one too. Let's see what the quibble is. She continues... One thing I have been ruminating on for some time now is the complicated relationship of speaking critically from within a fandom. You two are obviously very big fans of the series. Your love for all things Harry Potter is deeply evident but also extremely complicated. You speak very highly of Rowling and her world building skills. However, the crux of your podcast is exposing flaws and plot holes in the world she has built These two things feel like they should be incongruous and yet you've developed a method to work through this that I find quite interesting. Allow me to prove my point. Whenever you discuss a flaw, you'll use language like Hogwarts is so crazy or Dumbledore is a bad educator. However, when you highlight the merits, you'll say Rowling is so great at capturing teenage angst. You attribute flaws to the in-universe Rowling built and yet attribute merits to Rowling herself. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this doesn't feel like a deliberate decision, but rather the result of wanting to share your love and appreciation for all things Rowling without outright criticizing her. Am I correct? 
I myself have run into similar difficulties in working through my own complicated feelings of loving these seven books and yet being a critical adult reader who recognizes the flaws. My husband cannot stand that I enjoy such a deeply flawed series because he doesn't think it's fair to separate the good from the bad and decide to overlook some of Rowling's more complicated decisions. Ultimately, I end up begrudgingly agreeing with him for the most part, especially when it comes to the bigger plot holes. You pointed out a great one recently, the fact that Moody's eye can see through invisibility cloak, but death can't. <laughs> it's hard to reconcile. I've reduced myself to saying that these novels are a guilty pleasure of mine that I read purely for nostalgic value. While this is true, it still feels like a cop-out. Is this something you've ever thought about? I'd love to hear from you on this topic. Either way, I'm thoroughly enjoying the podcast. I look forward every week to my podcast catcher's notification that a new episode is released. Lauren. That's a really good email. Yeah, and a really good point. And I think, first of all, I would like... I'm going to push back a tiny bit because certainly in the most recent couple of episodes we did at the end of book four, I went pretty hard against Rowling as a writer. I think we do take opportunities to say there are parts of this that are not in-universe flaws that are Rowling's mistakes. There are parts that are messy because Rowling has written them messily. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I think you're right. We talk about positives and negatives in these books really differently. And I think it's like incredible that you noticed that and pointed that out to us. Yeah, I had not, I had not thought about it that way. Do you think her analysis is of like why we do that is right? Hmm. So we love the books. Clearly we enjoy them. I don't find them to be a guilty pleasure. I find them to have a lot of emotional resonance, which I think outweighs some of the messy structural elements. And I think anything that's attained such cultural currency and ubiquity is worthy of study and analysis just in and of itself. But in terms of the good things go to rolling and bad things are just in-universe, I guess I don't see them as, I don't know, maybe we overpraise rolling to take the sting out of the quibbles because, you know, I, I, I don't I know. Does that think, does that make sense? Yeah, well, I think another thing that I would say, and I really loved your comment about speaking critically from within a fandom, because part of making this podcast is like making ourselves part of this really incredible fandom. I think Harry Potter is one of the more beautiful and like community-minded fandoms out there. But it's also making ourselves vulnerable to the wrath of that fandom. I mean, people love JK Rowling in a way that if we go too hard against her like that alienates a lot of people who appreciate what we're doing here so I don't think it's that we're like censoring ourselves but I do think that there's the reality that to be a part of the Harry Potter fandom is to have to tread carefully with our like queen mother <laughs> um, I don't think we pull our punches on Joe, though. We don't pull our punches. We don't pull our punches. And I think you can tell that we don't pull our punches, like I said, when I because I just like railed against her in the most recent episode. <laughs> and people like weren't stoked about that, actually. But that's uh, like really, really how I felt. But I also think that like it's possible to like build deliberate flaws into your universe building. For example, the staffing decisions and like kind of Dumbledore's like lackadaisical running of the school. I don't think that's a mistake that J.K. Rowling has made. I think that's like a part of this universe that she has built in. So I think like off the rails Dumbledore is personally I find it to be like a feature not a bug. <laughs> but this is a really complicated question and I think you're gonna 
hear us like maybe thinking more seriously about like our language when we talk about flaws versus pluses you're right that like our it's called the quibbler so like kind of the the crux of the podcast is like exploring the ways in which the books like are complicated I'm gonna think more about that and how we use language to convey that I think by quibbling you show respect for the source material I agree with that you know and I think some people will say you know you hear like oh they're just books they're just children's books you know in my opinion nothing is ever just a book to me books exist to be like criticized and and discussed and that doesn't mean you don't not criticized in like negative, right. but just I mean, like have like, yeah, criticism, criticism applied mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you don't love them. Right. And I think you love I think you, them yeah, you, more. Yeah, you love them by kind of stripping them down and them. seeing how they work. I agree with I think, that. I think one of our missions on this podcast is figuring out how does Harry Potter work? Yeah, what and are why the does engines it work? that propel it? Mm-hmm. And, and, and what doesn't they? work? So... I also think, and it's interesting that your husband um, feels the way he does about your love of the series. Is it a Quidditch thing? Let's be real. <laughs> Maybe. It might be a Quidditch thing. Um, but I think that children's literature is probably the most important kind of literature that we have. And that's coming from somebody who I don't currently read. Beyond Harry Potter, Like I'm not like a YA yeah, neither neither of us actually read a lot of... Uh, I mean, we have, and yeah. we did as young people. But I think that what you read as a young person is comprises the most important part of your, like, reading life. So I think it's really foolish to say that, like, oh, these are just books for kids, therefore they don't contain anything, like, worth exploring or understanding because they, like, make us who we are. I can name the books... Harry Potter among them but it's not the only one that like made me the person I am because I read them when I was a young person and I think like the people who write young people's literature are fucking heroes even if they've written really complicated and like maybe flawed things like I think JK Rowling is a fucking hero because she's just like turned all of us into like more thoughtful and moral people as fans of Harry Potter I truly believe that and more imaginative and more imaginative and more empathetic I believe that with all my heart so these books are like a mess in a lot of different ways. <laughs> you're you're right and your husband's right. But ultimately, I think that they've like made a lot of people on the planet better. So like that's fucking cool. And like we talked about in the last letter, they're also like they've also like provided us with like a lot of help and companionship when we've needed it. So yeah. Should we read our last letter? Let's do it. All right. Our last uh, owl post of the day. It's from Megan. The subject is all caps. Okay, but listen, though. Badass. (laughs) I love that. I can't wait. Hi, Alex and Heather. I love you. It's not weird. Whatever. All caps. Moving on. Period. I want you to know it's it's not weird. We love you back. (laughs) We do. We do. We do. Okay, so I do an annual Harry Potter reread starting in September. That's a good time to, well, that's when Harry goes back to school, right? Yeah. And I happen to stumble upon your podcast from a reference made to it on Read It and Weep's podcast. I don't know. I, I have never heard that podcast. Thanks, Read It and Weep. Yeah. Thanks for referencing So us. I'm still catching up. Because of that, you may have had someone share this earlier, but I just finished the Magical World of Economics episode, episode 29, and it blew my mind. 
So here's a thought taking it further as to why Voldemort may have been so solidly pissed off about wizarding policies and how they affect purebloods versus muggleborns. You talked about how Voldemort may have super disliked how the system essentially is set up for muggleborns to end up rolling in the magical cash money. But another thing to consider is that Tom himself was a half-blood. He was a poor orphan. He never had real possessions of his own. In fact, he's sort of obsessed with taking over other people's possessions as trophies, <laughs> as we see with the Horcruxes. Holy shit! That's such a good point. He's just a weird, like... Horcruxder. Horder. <laughs> I, I tried yeah, and it's it. okay. Swing and a miss. Wow. So Voldemort's just kind of a klepto. Yeah. But like a psychological one. Ugh. But even before that, with his theft of fellow orphans' belongings in the orphanage, he is thrust into the amazing magical wizarding world, and he's so poor that the school pays for everything for him. Dumbledore even says they have a fund for cases like his. But yo, his riddle family was filthy rich. Teenage Voldemort straight up murders them, but you can imagine that he might have been, all caps, thinking if there are actually policies in place that allow muggle-born wizards to essentially end up wealthier than purebloods, if he had been awarded his birthright and had been raised by his muggle family, he would have been way richer than the Malfoys, for instance. I mean, Hermione's parents are dentists, and she has money, but Tom Riddle's dad was a super-duper wealthy muggle. So basically what Tom sees is, hey, I'm a muggle-born, but my muggle father didn't want me, and if he had, then I would be the richest kid in Hogwarts. Can you imagine what millions of muggle dollars look like in Gringotts? I mean, I don't agree with them, but that's a lot of impetus for him to be a total D-bag. He's not only disadvantaged in his mind by being a half-blood, but also by not even getting the monetary perks that being a half-blood brings. So no wonder he wants to abolish the whole thing. I love the theory you guys presented on that episode because it totally makes sense given his past. I was driving when I thought of that and yelled out loud, You guys wait! So I had to share that because my husband thinks I'm crazy. Okay, bye. First of all, Thank you, Megan. Yeah. That... That's a great owl post. It's a great one. I just want to compliment your, like, writing style. Solid strategic use of caps. Super delighted by your communication style. And yeah, I think, like, that's a really good point about Tom Riddle, is that he didn't even get to come into inherited muggle wealth because he was rejected by his muggle family. So he's, like, doubly has a chip on his shoulder about money. Interesting. I forgot about him stealing the other orphan's possessions. Well, that's also, a, like... That's an interesting link to the Horcrux, the Horcrux stuff. And thinking about the Horcruxes as, like, in addition to, like, evil slivers of soul, as, like, just, like, stolen treasure, I, like, kind of fail to think about that as well. That's really interesting. So, hopefully you guys have enjoyed this little Christmas present episode. Hopefully it's made you merry. Yes, and bright. It's been real. We miss you guys. We have been having a really nice hiatus, but we're super excited to be back. This week's episode is brought to you by Honeydukes. It's like a war zone in your mouth. <laughs> it's like acid pops. Oh, uh, that was very good. I can't I, believe we haven't done Honeydukes yet. I know. Maybe we have. Somebody correct us if we're wrong, but I don't think well, we've done Well, we did it again. Uh, the Honeydukes candies yeah. are insane. So we've been a little quieter on social media lately, but it does still exist. You can follow us at Quibbler Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to see the most amazing Harry Potter blanket ever, there's a photo of that yeah. on the Instagram. Sister of the podcast, Anne-Marie, made us a badass crocheted Harry Potter blanket. And uh, my other sister, Sarah, made us t-shirts that say, never trust 
a cup to do a hat's job. So, so sisters, my sisters are just basically out merch. churning out Quibbler merch it's for fucking Christmas. Cool. Yeah, thank you guys. Amazing. We'll thank you in real life too. This is late. <laughs> but we do thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And we thank all of you. We are so happy and proud to have a little community with, with you wonderful listeners. And we hope you're looking forward to the new season as much as we are. And the new year. And the new year. If you celebrate Christmas, have a merry one. Have a merry whatever it is you're doing over the next couple weeks. Happy New Year. We love you back. And thanks, amigos. Why aren't you wearing yours, Ron? George demanded. Come on, get it on. They're lovely and warm. You haven't got a letter on yours, George observed. I suppose she thinks you don't forget your name. But we're not stupid. We know we're called Gred and Forge. 